0: Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Karmateksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's talk, Responsibility as Opportunity, is given by meditation instructor Eric Weinberg and continues our series based on the book, Interconnected, Embracing Life in Our Global Society, by His Holiness the 17th Karmapa. Our life is like a vast net connecting us to all other lives on this planet. What we think, do, and say Matters. Responsibility is the opportunity to experience our connections in interdependence as love. The more you feel and act on love, the more you appreciate your responsibilities as opportunities. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texam Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Good morning, everybody. How is everybody? It was a beautiful day in Columbus. Thank you for coming. Um, I have to tell you, reading through this chapter in this book we've been going through, Interconnected, this particular one is titled, Responsibility is Opportunity. How about that? Big stuff. I have to tell you, though. Having read this and other chapters in this book, I love this book. And I particularly like this chapter. I, uh, just seeing the title, I don't think I was enthusiastic about it. Uh, because, you know, the way I was raised, uh, responsibility felt like something you shouldered, something that is a burden. Something that um, was unavoidable, but you know, to be avoided, because I'm a fundamentally lazy person. It's true. The <laughs> um, Karmapa, imagine this, has a really uh, enlightened view on on this, and for me, at least, this um, this chapter was um, extraordinarily encouraging. And so I'm happy to try to share it. I hope I do a good job. Just in case, though, uh, please. This, this book is remarkable. It's so um, free of jargon and Buddhist conceptuality. It's just straight from the heart in a very real way it's it's what pith instruction should be in my opinion from someone who is extremely to me wise and also at the same time humble and honest so uh, i i've been thinking of buying these and sending them to friends and enemies honestly this i was going to send them to all the members of congress and and the whole staff at the White House and so on and so forth, I, I can't quite afford that. But I do encourage you, if you don't have it, to uh, to pick this up. It's called Interconnected, Embracing Life in Our Global Society. So, I, You certainly can get it from Namze Bongzo. If you're a member here, you get a discount if you buy them from them. Uh, you can get it at Amazon. And I don't know if it's in our collection because our bookstore is not open all the time right now. We'll be up to speed, I believe, once we have our own space. Um, anyway, this this to me was um, like, oh, wow. So I'm I'm excited to be able to share it with you or at least some thoughts about it. It's more than I can really talk about in an hour probably would take me most of an hour just to read it, because it's like a few pages. Um, Before we start, though, let's uh, begin as we traditionally do um, by chanting the uh, four-line refuge prayer together. We chant it three times. The idea of chanting it three times, well, at least the idea I have for this morning about chanting it three times, is we all need, we all feel the need uh, for refuge. Everybody who's alive in this world has, uh, as my grandmother would say, their share of soros. And um, this is just admitting it, admitting our vulnerability and also admitting that uh, through uh, the three jewels, Buddha, awakened mind, Dharma, the teachings, the causes and conditions for realizing awakened mind and sangha, the place where we can practice and, you know, uh, learn to express this, uh, the results of refuge, which are love and compassion, we can grow in it. The second repetition is because actually we're all reactive to the feelings we have. They're internal. And um, so we need refuge even... On an emotional level, clearly we need it on an emotional level, and a feeling level, and an energetic level. Sometimes we feel high and happy. Sometimes we feel low and sad. Sometimes we just feel meh. Um, In any case, those are just waves. And this gives us a chance to at least acknowledge that beyond the Beyond the waves, um, there's a deeper uh, sense of being than just our feelings. Uh, And so the second repetition has to do with that, with the kind of energy that we bring to this life. And the third repetition is to do with our connection to everything, the spaciousness within which we find ourselves. That's what reality really is. That's actually what this chapter is about today. And so as we identify with the space within which our physical, material existence arises, our energetic, emotional, responses to all that arise, we realize that our ultimate refuge is the spaciousness itself within which it all within which it all arises. Um, so the third repetition is deeper and more spacious in an acknowledgement that our refuge is really a realization of the interdependence of everything. So with that in mind, Please join me in chanting the Four-Line Refuge Prayer three times. Sunjay
2: chudam Sukhi Chognamla changchu Pardu Dat Ni Khyap Su Chi Dhaki so Ki Rola la sanje rupar shun sanje churang sochi choknamla changchu pardu dagni yabsuchi dagi jin sochi pe ki Sanjay Rupar Shon Sanjay Chudang Sokhi Choknam La Jang Chu Pardu Dak Ni Su Chi Pe Sonam so Ki Bro sanjay rupa show
1: thank you so responsibility is opportunity i'm going to give away what comes in about three pages down the road because i'm going to say it and then probably repeat it it profoundly touched me um, in this chapter he really talks about uh, responsibility as opportunity and the opportunity is for us to actually engender love and compassion. His, I think it's helpful to understand what his point of view is Love and compassion isn't some but something you get from somewhere else. It's something innate in all living beings. It's there. And he says it's just like language. We think about human beings, and um, we all have an innate capability for language, but if you don't have the conditions necessary to develop language, if you just think about developmental psychology or, you know, study of the development of a human, say you get raised in the wilderness by wolves, you're not going to be able to have this language. And, I mean, you've got the capability, but you won't have the ability. And so this idea of responsibility as opportunity really is the understanding that we have the responsibility to really engender love and compassion because we're creating the conditions for the language of love to be learned and spoken. He said love is like language. I thought that was just Freaking amazing when I read it. Um, So that's his view. That's where he's coming from with all of this. And he starts by saying, our life is like a vast net connecting us to all other lives on this planet and each part of this net is linked to all the rest the essence of our life is not limited within the confines of our body but rather is distributed across all the people and things that we are connected to to think about our life in a way that treats our individual prop- treats it as our individual property imagine that thinking of your life as your individual property actually he's right most of us do that um is too limited and too small and leads us to miss seeing our full value. This idea of not seeing our full value has a kind of a ripple effect through our lives. Um, And so when he's talking about the building of this notion of responsibility that we have for each other, and actually, he goes beyond that. This is some a concept that's been around a little bit lately called radical responsibility, which is that we're responsible, each of us are responsibil- responsible for everything. And it's pretty daunting. And that's what he's doing here is he's breaking down that notion for us. And I will cut to the chase just so that you don't spend the rest of this time concerned that uh, you're gonna get loaded up with impossible things by this uh, conceptual spiritual talk because that can happen. Um, it's not like that. At the end, he actually talks about going gradually. so and and he talks about the importance of that. He talks about his own training even, and how when he was being trained, Uh, They kept pounding on him that he is Karmapa, the activity of the Buddha in this world at this time, and that he's responsible and must care for all living beings all at once. And uh, so no matter what he did, and he said he was a fairly good student. I thought, I think that's funny. I've heard reports about this from others. He was a really good student. But they basically would always tell him, not good enough, not good enough. He said, that's going too far. And we shouldn't do that to each other or to ourselves. We actually have to start where we are with this stuff and work with that. In the Buddhist teachings, they're what we call the three turnings of the wheel. The first one is individual liberation. It's like that first repetition of the refuge prayer. It you absolutely have to find refuge for yourself. You got to calm down before you can wake up. In other words, you can't wake up before you calm down. And. It requires this feeling of. Um, this recognition of. Uh, there's fundamental goodness and an experience of fundamental goodness. And we do that for each other in Sangha. It's our responsibility to do that for each other. There's a certain unconditional positive regard that's just part of being here. So um, I hope all of you are on board with that. Is everybody on board with at least aspiring to unconditional positive regard? I I think it's a good thing. Um so you start with this individual view, where you begin where you are, of course, as a human being, you feel the responsibility you you you're born, you gotta work, you gotta feed yourself, maybe feed some others, you gotta you know shelter, clothing, all of that, and so our first refuge is figuring out how to relate to that with kindness and compassion rather than in a grabby kind of way where, you know, I'm going to try always to, um, get pleasure and avoid pain, get fame and avoid shame and so on. all those eight worldly dharmas that we talk about all the time. And as a beginning practitioner, calming down just means, yeah, life is a bumpy ride. Things happen. Things happen. I can let that go and do the next right thing out of at least an aspiration for kindness and compassion. That's how our individual path starts, and it's important we start there. As Lama Kathy says, it's like uh, what what the um, what you are told on the airplane if something happens and the oxygen mask drops put it on yourself first and then put it on the person you're traveling with if they can't do it for themselves. Because if you stop being able to function because you're locked up in tension and uh, anxiety, uh, you won't be able to do yourself any good, let alone anybody else. So this is important, this this idea of self-liberation is what the Buddha first taught and that's why the second turning of the wheel is some recognition of this web of life that we're all connected and that actually um, all of this even doing all the practices of self-liberation you know like meditating daily and things even that puts some kind of positive spin, some positive energy out into this web of life that connects us all. So you're already beginning to participate in opening kindness and compassion to a larger and larger circle of existence till ultimately it's everything. It's all and everything. But we grow into that gradually. The third turning of the wheel is actually a recognition that we're 100% part of reality, all of it. And all of it is 100% part of us. In other words, at least for a minute as practitioners, when we practice, we visualize ourselves as actually already enlightened beings. What does that mean? At least for that moment... At least for that moment. And I can't sustain it for more than a moment. Um, Karmapa, I think he's got it all the time. So it's good to meet people like that, to realize what the potentialities are. Um, But at least for a moment, you drop this individual I thing that he talks about right in the beginning that's too small. And you begin to realize what your potential is which is vast, and it's beyond, it's beyond imagination even, because imagination even is kind of captive of your own uh, proclivities and your own likes and dislikes. Uh, that's the interconnected view. So in this chapter, he talks a lot about developing that view consciously, Um He doesn't talk about particular meditations for working with that. Something came to mind when, when I was uh, reading this, and it's like, okay, I get it. This is a beautiful way to look at life. And sure, I definitely want to do that. I absolutely don't want to feel my responsibilities as burdens. I want to feel them as opportunities for love and the outcome of that being joy. That's he actually says that. It's like when we feel that kind of love, when we drop the burden, but still just look with energy at the opportunities, um, there's joy there. That's where joy resides. And we all want that. Everybody wants to be happy. That's another key assumption. And I remembered this this bit that Jack Kornfeld's uh teaches which I like a lot so I'm going to read part of it not the whole thing he says in Buddhist psychology the instructions for thought transformation are very explicit the Buddha instructs his followers like a skilled carpenter who removes a coarse peg by knocking it out with a fine one so a person removes pain producing thought by substituting it with a beautiful one The Carpenter's Peg is a practical description of how we remove unhealthy thought patterns such as self-judgment, worry, anxiety by thought substitution. What is required is the selection of a helpful substitute and repeated practice. Repetition is key. Repetition, compassion, and the belief that painful cycles of thought can be transformed all have a part in developing new patterns of thought the most common replacement thoughts are variations on the practices of loving kindness and compassion when a repeated negative thought arises one of worry and anxiety of self-criticism or dis- depression first study it I love that when does it arise How often? What is its tone of voice? Does it appear as words or have images too? What story does it want you to believe? How painful is it to hear it over and over? Now that you see it clearly, you can say to the thought, and I love this, thank you for trying to protect me but I'm okay now. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, when we go through stuff and all of a sudden just this old kind of dark reactivity comes up, whatever form it takes, it's just a form of self-protection. It is. And if we can recognize it and know it, like an, I like to say, like an old annoying relative, rather than entertaining it and adding to the story we tell ourselves about ourselves and sharing the old bad family dramas with the annoying relative, which is, of course, one one of the things that can happen, rather than do that, say, hey, thanks for coming over to protect me. I can understand totally how you would think I need that, but I'm okay now. It's beautiful. So, I'm, there's more to this, but that's the gist of it. And for these purposes, it's good. Um, we need to be able to do that for ourselves. So, I, you know, the idea that we need to practice every day without fail is absolutely true. Because we're just on um, potential Buddhas, we're not Buddhas yet, and stopping short of that goal isn't um, isn't good enough. We actually have to do it, um, and we actually will do it sooner or la- later. In order to once you once you realize that you can say, "Uh, thanks for coming to protect me. I'm okay now. We begin to be able to use certain things, like the intensity of our feeling and discernment, understanding what's wholesome and what's not wholesome. And how does that connect with our aspirations? And vivid awareness, which means how does this fit? One of the best quotes I know about vivid awareness is just short. It's from a sutra, and I don't remember which one. Sorry. But it's like this. um, Let the universal waves come and go as they please. You have nothing to gain and nothing to lose because you're the ocean. I love that. That's what the big, That's what the vastness of our awareness can be. That's what vi- vivid awareness is: is realize you're not the waves. You're the ocean. So anger comes, and we'll say, "I'm angry." Well, actually, there's. You could start working on having a little voice. You're not angry. It's just anger came. Okay. It came from your mind reacting to something and this protector appears in that form. It's good to say, where did that come from? Where did you come from? What do you look like? Oh, thank you for coming to protect me. I'm okay now. So when you can do that, you can begin to also see responsibility in a different way. And that's what Karmap is getting at here is that as we practice and as we go on this path, if we stay on this path with the aspirations for um, full realization for the benefit of all beings, for the aspiration to grow more and more for the, yeah, for the benefit of all beings. Then we can begin to discern how these things are. And as we discern how these things are, we can begin to apply them. And how do we apply them? Well, he only names one, but I know he's referring to the whole six perfections, you know. But he starts with generosity. He says if you really, really cultivate generosity, which is the first of the six perfections, it keeps your aspirations limitless because there are limitless beings. He said that it isn't just about giving away everything you have um, in a material sense. In fact, he says it's not even about the size of the check or anything like that. It's not at all. He said Buddha did that, but he did more. He he realized the ripple effect of what he was doing, and actually it's still happening right now for you and for me because we keep sharing this with each other, and it keeps radiating outward. So if we keep it limited, like if we have generosity and we have just this limited goal, Um, We'll succeed or we'll fail. But we'll never develop the momentum necessary to maintain our enthusiasm over the long haul. And that's the thing. Getting our enthusiasm together for this is important. Getting the energy together, because it's not always easy, you know? Uh, What is it? Samsara is a bumpy ride, right? From that he talks about learning to depend on each other, what he called um, collective responsibility. This is a little bit difficult. He said the actions of one person can serve as causes whose effects others must experience. Responsibility is thus part of the fabric of reality. It is not an optional accessory. So whatever we think, do or say is going to put some energy into the system. It's going to have some impact on others. And it becomes our um, opportunity to play with that. It come, becomes our opportunity to... Um, I'm being distracted right now. While my phone is... Silenced it's not off it was buzzing in my pocket. Oh, I think it's very weird to be talking and wanting to do this see that's how distraction it's so easy it just comes right comes and gets you um, but this idea that taking responsibility is optional it's not optional and it's something that needs to be um Developed on our own and as a community. He says that sweeping with a broom is a whole lot different than s- sweeping with one straw. So there's two, two ways to go with that when you're together as a community, right? You can have virtuous kinds of uh, aspirations or you can have unvirtuous kinds of aspirations, or you can have ignorant kinds of aspirations. First, I want to talk about some virtuous aspirations, because right here at Columbus KTC, we've spent some significant time and energy to come up with what we're calling for now our top six values. This is still subject to um, development and work. But it forms a framework for this discernment that we need to do in order to understand, you know where we're at and how we're working with this energy that we have, you know, whether we're allowing the annoying old relative of community, if there is one, uh, to come and tell its story or whether we're thanking it and like building our community in such a way that it begins to create the conditions. To learn the language of love. That's the way I would put it. So, our top six values we came up with as a community at a community meeting a few months ago. There are, I don't know, Kim would know, I'm not a head counter, but there are 50, 60 of us were there all contributing to this. It wasn't just something the board came up with, in other words. The top six values were kindness. Being welcoming. Openness. Clear communication. I hope I'm even approximating that right now. Um, Community building. And volunteerism, service. There are people in this room I would love to point out, but I won't, but there are some real studs when it comes to community building and volunteering. And it won't be any surprise to you to know that these folks are actually what the people who are creating the language of love in this room and for this community. And that's the language that we need to be speaking. That's the language that we need to engender so that we become part of a little bit bigger web. Maybe once we get into our new building, within a few blocks of the building, because of the way we are, and this can happen. And maybe the whole of Franklinton eventually, and having an impact on Columbus, and so on and so forth. Because... It's the sense of energy that we bring that'll be helpful. It's really important that we don't stay in ignorance. In the chapter, Karmapa points out that um, it works the other way too. (laughs) He says, uh, when Jackie Kennedy got to the White House and she became like the scion of fashion, I remember my mother going through this. All the women in our neighborhood wanted to look like Jackie Kennedy. They all got the same haircut. They all had the same elegant look or tried for it anyway, etc. She did another thing, though. She had a leopard coat. Pretty soon, everybody needed to have a leopard coat. And as Karmapa said, just because of that, a quarter of a million of gorgeous, large cats were killed until that fashion fad wore off. And you have to remember, she was only the first lady for three years, unfortunately. Um... But what we do, what we think, do, and say really has an impact. And he makes the point after that that particularly people who you think are well-endowed and wealthy and powerful and all of that, they need our compassion every bit as much as someone who has nothing. And Maybe you'll see somebody homeless on your way home. Home or somebody panhandling or something like that. Of course, they need our help, and we have to figure out some wise way to do it, which is not so easy. But the wealthy, too. And he points out that if you can influence somebody who is rich and powerful in kindness and compassion, actually, it's much more powerful and impactful than doing it for um, just one person at a time because they being having power and wealth impact thousands and thousands of people. Um, so it's important how we react to the n- political news we get these days, which is hard for me because so much of it winds up inviting my annoying old mental relatives Back into the house. Um, but it's really important what we do with all of that stuff that we're involved in. He didn't mention this, but I thought of an example of that. You know, one of the probably one of the best things for the sake of the world that has happened in the last 40 years is that Melinda married Bill Gates. Bill Gates, when he got married, was, I think, the wealthiest man in the world. And Melinda has one of the biggest hearts in the world. And he fell in love with her. She loved him, even though he was kind of nerdy and single-minded and hyper-focused on software and computers and all of that. But she saw the good in him and the good in her resonated with that and he felt joy that's why he married her and he did too that's why you know well they like each other anyway the impact of that has been enormous because then the gates foundation started and then there's this whole other thing that happened where he sits down with billionaires and asks them to give away most of their money for the benefit of the world. Can you imagine the power of that? I don't know how it happened that she started in this direction of kindness and compassion. Might have been a priest or a rabbi or a Tibetan lama or a Biksu or anybody, but somebody was able to actually touch her heart and wake her up in that way. And be by all accounts, she was just an ordinary person. Frankly, Bill Gates was also, he grew up just an ordinary person. Um, and because someone touched her heart in that way, because she was in that environment, had those conditions to learn the language of love, she has literally, whoever influenced her, and she and Bill and everybody have actually spread kindness and compassion through the whole world. Seriously. There's that old biblical phrase about treating everybody well because you don't know when you're going to be entertaining angels. It's like that. It's like, don't discount anybody. You might be just hitting that point in their heart that opens them and they may do it to the next person and then to the next person. That's how that web works. That's how it's limitless. It's not that you become responsible for the whole world like you're going to win the lottery and wipe out some dreaded disease all by yourself. It's not like that. It's something we do together. That's why actually being able to articulate our six top values is important because we start to do that together and all of a sudden, we're not just a straw, we're a broom. And more and more people are being touched. So there's a whole reason for um, sangha to develop consciously. And, And we need to absolutely develop that and stretch ourselves in that way. What Karmapa says is, what needs to shift is not the size of checks. We force ourselves to write, but our emotional relationship to responsibility. We do this by seeing responsibility as opportunity, grounding it in our most noble aspirations, approaching it with enthusiasm, and expressing it as a form of love that results in joy. Reorienting our relationship to responsibility can lead us to seize and joyfully treasure opportunities. To fulfill responsibilities. Such a change of heart. Motivates significant changes. In our aspirations. And it results. In sustainable. And significant action. I'm telling you. This guy's good. So. I want to. I want to close this. With a quote. That I love. From the Talmud, because um, I'm just that guy. It says, Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work. But neither are you free to abandon it." Then I put a little note there and says, Karmapa might say, you cannot be free if you abandon it. Reality is interconnectedness. So that's the punchline of the talk, folks. There's a whole lot more to this chapter, but I wanted to keep it um, not too rambling, too crisp. So you could um, definitely get a distilled idea because I think it's very important, particularly for us right now as a sangha uh, and of course for the world. There are examples every day of people mistaking their individual wants and needs for um, some kind of ultimate truth and discounting um, opportunities in the world to grow and be of benefit. And for us, who listen to uh, our teachers and follow the Buddha, um, we have to kind of reverse that, turn it upside down. It's not easy, but we can do it. All the practices that we've been given are just tools for that. They're like workouts, exercises for the mind to build those muscles and experience itself and... In, in, um, in ways that can help us fulfill our aspirations. So, that's it. Thank you. The question mic is open. Give it a shot.
3: Okay, Eric, you got me. I'm I'm getting the book. I'm reading it.
1: Did I sell it?
3: Yeah. All right. So. I read a, a quotation which I can't remember where but might be helpful it was that we're not responsible for everyone but we're resp- we're responsible to everyone.
1: Oh, I like and that. And I think
3: that puts the emphasis on our behavior and not and on our actions not on the results. Because in Buddhism you have to let go of results. And so it's and it's not that we're we have to meet other people's expectations of us when we're re- responsible to them, but we have to meet our own expectations of ourself as someone who cares about other people is not completely selfish. So we're really um, being, re- um, being responsible, answering to ourself, mm-hmm. our own conscious, if you think of being responsible to everyone else.
1: I like that.
3: It was some book about codependency.
1: Yeah. Because actually when you feel responsible for everyone, there's still, from a Buddhist point of view, really, it's still kind of an ego trip, right?
3: Yeah.
1: And because I'm going to save the world, you know, that kind of thing. Or I failed at saving the world. Either one is just an ego trip. Meanwhile, we're just here with each other as Ram Das says, walking each other home. I have a quote here that maybe goes with it. I didn't use it in the talk. See if you like this. Mother Teresa, if we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten we belong to each other. It's a matter of belonging. You know, um, I find my meditation practice a little tricky because sometimes I want to get power or I want to be able to change things or I want to be able to do this or that. But when I let go of that, when I'm not doing to myself or others but doing with, my mind just relaxes and it expands to be inclusive. And that's where some warmth and sanity arises when I let go of that small me doing this or that. Does that sound right? Sure. Sure. <laughs>
4: Thanks, Eric. I needed to hear that. Um, I, it, to me, I just kept thinking of the reminder of, of I function best when I just keep it simple. Yeah. And and it can be overwhelming for me. I don't I don't have like a smartphone. I still have a flip phone. I don't have, go on Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff. But I do have an email and landline and. Uh, snail mail and and it still can be too much and overwhelming for me um and and I just kept i li- I liked the idea that it started out with yeah because when, when I watched uh you know I even started watching Sunday morning earlier and and the doggone thing just triggered me with all this overwhelming stuff that needed to be done and and so it was just really good to get back to when I really buy into that, it is, it's the ego and this heroics, maybe part of it is from uh, childhood too. And the family I grew up in of somebody had to be the caretaker mm-hmm. and you take on the different ones, have different roles, especially the oldest kid. But it's all, it's not my reality anymore. Mm-hmm. The reality is, and I'll, Go to Mother Teresa. I loved it when she got the went to Oslo for the Nobel Peace Prize. And she's there with these dignitaries and powerful, powerful people, as we say, and all mm-hmm. this. And here this poor little thing comes up and they're waiting. And she simply said, None of us, none of us, the powerful, the mm-hmm. homeless, anybody can do great things. Mm-hmm. We all can just do small things with great love. Yeah. And I think that's where, for me, I need to keep focusing on that because my ego always wants to get in. It's like, yeah, you know, well, the check would be better if it had to, a couple more zeros on it. Mm-hmm. No, the check is just fine if it's truly coming from the heart and, you know, having that balance of, I got to take care of myself. So I can write a check, right? You know, and just keep my. So it was really important. I really like the way you've, you, you, focused on that aspect of it. And I too need to get the book. Thanks.
1: Yeah, who published this? They should hire me. What is it? <laughs> Wisdom Publications. This is good. I think this idea of starting where we are. Is really important. It's our it's our vulnerability that makes us powerful. Um, one of my favorite authors, W. H. Auden, Auden uh, said, uh, "Love your crooked neighbor with your own crooked heart."
3: <laughs> I
1: love that. Yeah. The point is that um that can be the uh that can be the core understanding. It can be the core understanding that we're just trying to create the conditions where this language of love can be developed. And to have responsibility for creating those conditions, that's where responsibility becomes opportunity rather than a burden. When we're trying to get something for our own agenda, and we all have agendas and we need to have them, but they don't have to be in the driver's seat, that's all. It's not that anybody should let go of the stuff that moves us down the road, of course. It's just who's in the driver's seat here? That's the question. So, you know, sometimes things show up that those things I call my old annoying relatives. And um, this thing Kornfeld said just keeps coming back to me, you know. Thank them for protecting. Thank you for coming to protect me. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then having this through practice, we can really kind of begin to have a new way of looking at life and how to respond to it. And if we make our priorities, um, our wish to grow, And our wish to benefit beings, however that manifests itself, and make those uh, the drivers. Lots of stuff changes. Lots of stuff changes. Anybody else? You can't believe I'm on time this week. It's so rare. So let's take a moment and dedicate the merit of just having been together with this aspiration. Sonam di tamche zikpani Totne niepe dranam panjene Ga na ti trupay tru pai si pe sole dro war dro war sho Jumpa po wo po de yang de da kung yi jesu da glo ji ge wa di da tam che rap
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Texam Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at TemptingArts.com Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.